Hi, Dan here. If you've filled out our audience survey, thank you. If you haven't yet, please take a few minutes to do it. We're wrapping it up on April 19th, and we really want to hear from you so we can bring you the podcast you want and need. We're also giving free trade-offs t-shirts out as an incentive to two lucky people who take our survey. You can find a link to it in our show notes or go to tradeoffs.org slash survey. Thank you so much. We've been hearing the same thing for weeks. Americans are being ordered to practice social distancing to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. Stay home and stay away from each other. The CDC is advising the use of non-medical cloth face covering. And just yesterday, a new executive order from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. If you're going to get on public transit, you're going to pass other people on a sidewalk. You're not going to be able to maintain social distancing. You must wear a mask or a color-coordinated bandana, cloth. Today, what's the best way for governments and the rest of us to get people to do their part to stop the spread of the coronavirus? It's April 16th. From the Annenberg Studio at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Sion Benoit and his wife Susie Schwartz felt stuck. I know that people might react really negatively if you accost them and point your finger in their chest. Something had happened a few weeks ago that they just couldn't let go. Sion and Susie had been out with their dogs. Humphrey and Lola, two Shih Tzus. <laughs> it was a sunny early spring day. They were nearing the end of their walk, coming over a hill back toward home. Suddenly there's this large group of seven to nine children and parents. Doing some kind of planned exercise session. There was one person kind of demonstrating some what looked like yoga poses or gymnastic poses. Any other time this would be a charming scene. It would be like, you know, adorable small town America. But this isn't any other time. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And Sion and Susie were in a place many of us have probably been lately watching people put others at risk by not social distancing. They don't quite understand that this is not just a precaution, but that that actually potentially saves life. Susie and Sion live in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, a leafy college town a few miles outside Philadelphia. Handsome stone houses line the block. Most folks have good-paying jobs and can work from home. And most of the neighbors had been practicing good social distancing etiquette crossing the street when someone else comes their way, that kind of thing. Seeing all of those kids and parents worried Susie and Sion. They worried about the health of the people on the lawn and everyone else in the neighborhood. They wanted to say something, but felt awkward going up to people they didn't know. A few days later, they were back out with Humphrey and Lola. Same long walk, same final hill, same group of kids. I was like, oh my God, they're still doing this. Susie felt they needed to say something, but Sion was still skittish about getting into it with the neighbors. He thought to himself, let's wait a day, give it a little more time. But he realized that thinking was a trap. That's just a delaying tactic to not have to do something in the short run. Um, So I recognize that a little bit. Um, Recognize that in my own work as well. His work just happens to be as a behavioral economist who studies, get this, how to get people to do things that have some kind of personal cost but benefit society overall. It's not great to do, but it helps everyone. Things like giving to charity and social distancing. Sion wanted to avoid a silly years-long feud, and he also wanted to maximize the chance that his neighbors would cease and desist with the yoga party. 
but based on his academic training, he understood that a confrontation could backfire and make these people double down on their lack of social distancing. This idea of psychological reactance, that when you approach somebody and you tell them that they're doing something bad, um, there is a little bit of a human inclination to kind of push back against you. So he and Susie started planning an evidence-based intervention. This isn't just an issue for civic-minded neighbors like Sion and Susie. Across the country, mayors, governors, and health departments are trying to get people to social distance. But the actual messaging itself has taken a backseat to other priorities. My sense is that less attention is being paid to the messaging question. How do we compel people to actually follow the orders they're under to social distance? Katie Milkman is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, where she studies how and why people make decisions. She told me she's found a lot of the messaging from political leaders pretty uncompelling. Lucky for them, she's got tips, all based on evidence from behavioral science. Tip one. So one of them is conveying that this is what everybody else is doing. So the more we can give people visuals of empty streets. In California, the notoriously busy highways are nearly empty. The hustle and bustle of New York is at a standstill. And convey how compliant people are being in general, actually the more effective our messaging. Tip two. If you want somebody to strap on a mask or scoot a little farther away, tell them they're doing it for somebody else. People are actually very, very motivated to help others. There's some great research that was done by Adam Grant and Dave Hoffman trying to compel people to wash their hands more in hospital restrooms. And they tried different messaging strategies. One was, you know, wash your hands. You're less likely to get sick if you're washing your hands. And another message was, hey, wash your hands. You're less likely to spread germs and make other people sick. And guess what? It was much more effective to tell people to help others by washing their hands than to tell them to help themselves. And tip three. Focus on people, not statistics. There's this great study that was done by Paul Slovic, George Lowenstein, and my colleague Deb Small about a decade ago that looked at two different appeals that were made to raise money for children in Africa who didn't have enough food. And one of the messages described the malnourishment and what a big problem it is and how many children go hungry. And the other just had a picture of a little girl and gave her name and explained that she was at risk of going hungry. And that picture was more than twice as effective as a fundraising tool. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind in the current crisis. When we're trying to get people to act, we want to highlight the human stories and the human cost. Katie says while she's pretty confident that these tips will be effective, political leaders should really be testing these messages to see what works best. Even little survey tests that could be done before messages go live would really help because we know our intuitions are often wrong about what's going to be the most effective. If there's any any message I would want to end with, I hope that leaders will use a scientific method to try to figure out, you know, what is the best ad to put in front of people if we want them to wear face masks to, to maintain at least six feet of distance to stay in their homes. Katie says political leaders have tapped experts to create vaccines and expand testing capacity. For the good of public health, she says, it only makes sense to call on behavioral researchers to help craft the most persuasive social distancing messages.
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One government that has invested in behavioral science is the United Kingdom. It started the Behavioral Insights team 10 years ago. This group of scientists has learned through randomized controlled trials that effective messaging is about more than just how you deliver it. It's also about who is delivering it. Research has been conducted inside governments to see who should be fronting these things, and that generally shows that lower trust uh, individuals, particularly politicians, aren't terribly effective. Michael Sanders is a behavioral scientist at King's College London. He used to be the chief scientist of the Behavioral Insights team. He says our general lack of trust and partisan feelings about elected officials make them less than ideal messengers in a crisis. Whereas uh, civil servants, public servants who are not politically appointed, not elected, are viewed as being more credible, particularly medical experts or scientific experts. This is inconvenient from an economic and a personal standpoint, but we just have to do it. There's a research that messages which are seeming to come from in these big crises from a doctor are much more effective than messages that are coming from a politician. We're getting much closer to getting our country back to the way it was. We're going to do it sooner than people think. That might help explain why Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, is seen as much more trustworthy than his boss, President Trump. Michael says when it comes to the community level, it's helpful for the message to come from a respected authority figure or at least someone you can relate to. Somebody who is as like you as possible and who is experiencing the same kinds of challenges as you are or who has done in the past. Okay, so just left my house, walking down the street to drop this letter off. Back in Swarthmore, Sion and Susie hope to emphasize their shared experience through an anonymous note dropped off in the cover of night. All right, I'm just putting it under the mat and I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Given Sion's expertise as a behavioral scientist, I wanted to know specifically how his training informed what he wrote. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. Um, okay, so it's a little bit lengthy, but... and I think I asked him to read the letter out loud. I said, Dear neighbor, I hope you and your family are doing well in these difficult times. I'm writing to you today regarding some of the scenes that I and others in the neighborhood have seen outside your residence. Sion says research shows that focusing on what's best for the community was his best bet of winning over his neighbor. That is, void gatherings keep children from interacting in close proximity with other kids in the neighborhood. In short, I am, ask, I am writing to ask you to do your part and set a good example for our neighborhood. With sincere best wishes, a friendly neighbor. Sion says it's that last line that encapsulated the behavioral science teachings he tried to sprinkle throughout the note. Not only, you know, not accusatory, right? I'm asking you to do your part. It's sort of, there's the collective good here. Almost inviting them to 
to do the right thing rather than chastise him for doing the wrong thing. Sion says if he's learned anything, it's that putting himself personally on the line to get someone to change their behavior is a lot harder than it feels from inside the classroom. There's a lot of barriers, and I think a lot of them have to do with reputation and fear about how you're seen by others and how you're seen by the people around you and what that means for your life and your community. And that is really hard to overcome. Since dropping off that anonymous note, Sion and Susie happily report no more yoga parties. It appears their neighbors have joined the vast majority of people in the U.S. taking social distancing seriously. As these efforts, though, enter a second month, it may get harder for a lot of us to stay inside. That means it's going to be more important than ever that our messaging is as effective as possible. Lucky for our political leaders, there's decades of research from behavioral science to turn to. The question is whether they will. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. Antonio Matthews' biggest goal used to be getting off the streets. Now, he's terrified to leave his house. I could be being homeless. I could be being on drugs. But this one, I can't win. How COVID-19 is threatening one man's decades-long battle for sobriety and stability. Next time on Tradeoffs. There are only a few days left to fill out our audience survey, completed by April 19th, and you could win one of two free t-shirts we're giving away. You can find a link in the show notes or go to tradeoffs.org slash survey. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. You can keep in touch with us between episodes by following us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod. Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Vicki Stern, researchers Jamie Song and Emily Patterson, sound designer Andrew Perella, and editor Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Additional thanks to Piyush Tatya, Anthony Barrows, Rachel Rosenberg, Allison Buttenheim, and the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the California Healthcare Foundation, Arnold Ventures, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Additional support from the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics and the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.